Psalm 96, 1 through 6. You can't dodge it. You're going to get it. Uh, Would you stand as I read Psalm 96, verses 1 through 6? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this moment, this Lord's Day moment, where we can sit and hear and receive from you. So God, would you open up a fountain from your word in the power of your spirit that you would pour forth your life, your your vision, your future, your power upon us that you would enact the change in us, that you would ignite the fire in us that needs to be there. Would you convict us of sin if necessary? Would you draw us ever more towards Jesus? And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, would you be merciful to us and speak? O God of glory, speak. Father in heaven, speak to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to give you three reasons, short and sweet, probably, possibly, maybe. Uh, Three reasons why we should be engaged wholeheartedly, convictionally, sacrificially engaged in missions and evangelism. Three reasons why, if you're taking notes or maybe you are a memory person. Uh, Three reasons why we should be engaged convictionally, sacrificially, wholeheartedly in evangelism and missions. You ready? And it's in the Old Testament of all places. Can we believe that the Great Commission does not begin in Matthew chapter 28? You know what Matthew chapter 28 says? Everybody remember? All Jesus says, this is the last, Robbie mentioned it last Sunday, if you were here. Um, he, he said, you know, he preached from the sort of the, all of the commissions at the end of the Gospels. But Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends into heaven, he says, all authority is given to me. In heaven and earth, go therefore and make disciples from all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded to you. And lo, or look, or behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, that the Great Commission is bookended by profound realities of promise. All authority belongs to Jesus, and that presence is with His people always, for the accomplishing of his mission to the nations of making disciples of Jesus from all peoples, from all planets. No, that's not right. From all peoples and all nations and all people groups. Just making sure you're on your toes, okay? (laughs) That this is the final word that Christ gives, so to speak, in his earthly ministry to his disciples is that the standing 
command to his people, not just the apostles, but to his apostles who then poured into the next generation, who poured into the next generation, and a few hundred generations later, here we are. We have inherited the same mission and the same work, accompanied by the same promises. I'm super jazzed, so I gotta slow down. I've had a lot of coffee, and I'm super jazzed. So, three reasons why. We should be wholehearted, sacrificially, convictionally engaged in missions and evangelism. All of us, individually, all of us, collectively. All of us, individually, all of us, collectively. Now, when we think about that, as I'm, I'm going to press into this text in just a moment and show you the three reasons. But as we think about that, it's imperative upon you that you understand that while we have different giftings, We've been gifted differently with talents and personalities. We've been gifted differently in the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. None of those things exempt us from engagement according to God's call, according to God's gifting. None of those things exempt us from engagement in His great commission. Or another way to say it, just because you don't have the gift of evangelism... Which, notice, there is no gift of missionary in the Bible. Just because it doesn't, you don't feel like that's your gifting, it doesn't mean that you're, you don't get to engage in it. And notice that I, don't, I said you don't get to, right? You, you get to. This is a great and wonderful invitation. So some people are going to be more outgoing and evangelistic. Not just outgoing personally, but you've been gifted for evangelism. You might know some of those people. That's not my spiritual gifting. And yet scripture says to me, the pastor, do the work of an evangelist. To obey Jesus is determined by Jesus's word, not your perceiving of his gifting of you. You tracking me? So when Jesus commands you to do something, you do it. It's not based upon how you feel about the matter. Jesus says, go, he says, we've read several times in scripture already, sing to the Lord a new song. He doesn't say if you can sing well. It doesn't say if you enjoy singing. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness if you're into that sort of thing. That's not what scripture says. And when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, he doesn't just mean, hey, you who are really outgoing, who are adventurous types, you go do these things. It is not just for the super spiritual. It's not just for IMB missionaries. It's not just for North American Mission Board church planners. It is in some degree for all of us individually. I'll kind of press into maybe some of that application in just a second. But it is definitively for us collectively that the Great Commission is given to the church it's not given to organiz- it's not given to the Southern Baptist Convention. It's not given to the North American Mission Board. It's not given to the International Mission Board. Those are the SBC entities. You could press into I don't know what all of the other PCA, PC, well, never mind. The, the, the OPC, the Methodist, it's not given to denominations. It's given to the church. And the denominations exist. The organizations exist to help the church do its job. 
The North American Mission Board exists to help us as the local church and local churches like ours coordinate and cooperate together so that we can be about Jesus's business. It is not for us to outsource our. This is a soapbox. This is not for us to outsource our responsibility. The International Mission Board exists to help us. It exists to help train missionaries and help to, to land missionaries. It helps to raise support for missionaries, but it helps the local churches do their job. And just because we give to the cooperative program, which supports missions and education, all sorts of things, or that we give to the International Mission Board or the North American Mission Board, it does not free us from any responsibility. Our responsibility doesn't end with our church checkbook. It just begins. So collectively, we have to be a church that has the culture of Great Commission life and the vision purpose of it as well. We have to be about reaching lost people here and reaching lost people who have never heard. They are not mutually exclusive. You don't get to tell me when I bring a missionary in. I mean, you you can say whatever you want to say, but I'm not going to take you seriously. You don't get to tell me when we bring a missionary in that we're trying to send somewhere where there's no Christians. Or there's a very, very small percentage of Christians. So that millions, or potentially, and if you think about globally, billions of people can live and die in a human lifespan and never hear the name of the Lord Jesus. That should wreck us. And you can't tell me when, when I start to drum up some enthusiasm and some intentionality about it. Oh, hey, pastor, there's lost people in our backyard. T- really? Tell me again. I'm sorry. Paul uses sarcasm. Okay. <laughs> you don't get to tell me that because they're not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. Of course, our ministry here is going to be more, um, more saturating. It's going to be more holistic than it is in terms of how we engage in other places of the country and other places of the, of the world. We're going to do more in Elgin, of course. We're going, to, we're going to make more of a lasting impact because, at least we hope so, because all of you are here. All of our congregation of resident missionaries are present. Of course we're going to make a greater impact here. We ought to be making a greater impact here. And we ought to be concerned about where God has us and when God has us. And he has us here right now with the people that are our neighbors. So we should be wrecked about their lostness. That there are people right now that if I stood out here on the porch within shouting distance, I would imagine. That have no concept of God. They have no concept of the Lord Jesus. Or they might have one that is not what scripture tells them. And they certainly haven't bent the knee and worshiped to him. That should wreck us. But so should those people and places of the world who are people made in the image of God, just like you and I, worthy of dignity and value and respect, who are lost and living and going to hell right now, unless something happens. But the difference between them and your lost neighbor is that there's no you there. You see the difference? The difference between a lost person next door and a lost person in fill in, you know, the in Tibet, I don't know. Nepal. A lost person in Kathmandu. 
You know what the difference is? Is that here, you live, you live next door to that person. Here, this church stands here, preaching the gospel week in and week out, doing outreach ministries, and we're not the only one in town. But there, that's not true. There, there is no you next door. There, there is no church down the block that if they sort of maybe had the desire one day to go see what this whole Jesus thing's about, they couldn't do it. There's a difference. And it takes much, much more work and effort and resources. If you want your neighbor to learn about Jesus, you know what resources need to be worked? Your two little legs. And that hole in your face. You speak the, I'm sorry, a little salty. You speak the gospel. You walk over there and you speak the gospel to them. But in order to get you over there, that's a lot more work, right? If you've been following the trajectory with Kevin and Lisa, it's a lot more work to get somebody from here to there to stay there. To tell people about Jesus. But... If we're going to be engaged in this, convictionally, wholeheartedly, sacrificially, why? This, our passage this morning starts with a resounding imperative, a command for us to sing. And it's not just that you do it like an automaton, that you just sing for singing, like you're singing in your car, but you're singing to the Lord. You're, we're uttering worship towards God. And from worship, worship fuels missions and evangelism. A worshiping people is a people that is concerned about the glory of God. A worshiping people are concerned about the worth of God. If our worship is small, if it's small in our opinion, small in our regard then our sacrificial, convictional, wholehearted engagement will not be sacrificial. It will not be convictional. It will not be wholehearted. Again, if our worship is small, our missions and evangelism will be small. If our worship is small, hang your hat on this. If you get nothing else, if you want to tune out, go to sleep, don't miss this. Please don't go to sleep. Hurts my feelings. Not really. It happens all the time. Uh, <laughs> that that worship, if our worship is small, our, our missions and evangelism will be small. That there is a corresponding relationship to a worshiping people and a, an evangelistic missions engaged people. Why? Reason number one. Why should we be engaged wholeheartedly, convictionally, sacrificially in missions and evangelism. One, because God is worth it. Because of the greatness and the glory of the Lord. Verse 4, or verse 3, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among the peoples. Here is the great commission in Psalm 96. Did tell people among the nations of the greatness of God. Tell them of what he's done among the peoples. Tell them. Go tell them what God has done in Jesus. Tell them who Jesus is and what he has done is God's love for them. 
Tell them that the creator of the heavens and the earth knows their name and has made them to know him. Go tell them. Why? Verse 4. And if your Bible has a 4 there, not the number 4, but the word 4, it's because. Why? Because great is the Lord. Again, if our worship is small, our missions and evangelism will be small. We always begin conversations or maybe sermons about missions and evangelism, which I did this morning. With lostness and people dying and going to hell and people being lost and all that sort of stuff. That's all true. But if we only camp on that, we will not go. If we only camp on lostness and darkness and people being far from God, as heartbreaking as that is, it will not be enough to motivate us to be wholehearted, sacrificial, and convictional in our engagement with missions and evangelism. The only way that we will sacrificially engage the work of God amongst the peoples is if we see the greatness of the Lord. If we are people that is caught up and consumed with the glory of God, if God's glory matters nothing to us, we're not, if it matters nothing to us here, God's glory is going to matter nothing to us there. It's not, it's not going to matter the fact that my neighbor right now is worshiping. I'm not, this isn't like literally, I, I'm, I don't know exactly what my neighbor's doing, but they're not just, our lost neighbors are engaged in worshiping things that are not the Lord. Whether they're going to a a temple or anywhere else. But the fact that they're living their lives and pouring out their air and breath to live for something that is not God. Means they are engaged in false worship. And therefore, those false idols are robbing God of the glory that is due His name. If you remember in Acts chapter 17, where Paul comes to Athens and he's there kind of just waiting. If you if go read Acts 17 this afternoon, homework. But Paul goes to, goes to Athens and he's waiting on people and he, he begins to stroll about the city. And he begins to see all of the different idols that are there. And, he, and the, the scripture says that it was, he was provoked in his spirit. That he was deeply bothered. And he was bothered first because God's glory was not lifted up in that place. If we don't care about the glory of God, we're not going to care about the mission of God. But So the converse is true. If we are a people that is captivated at the glory of God, at the, at the beauty of the Lord Jesus, if we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if we have caught somehow just a, a fragrance of Isaiah chapter 6 of the Lord high and lifted up and the angels singing back and forth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, then all of a sudden we must be compelled to say, this Lord is Lord of all and He must be known to the ends of the earth. We have to be Ripped by it. Not just by the brokenness of people. Not just the experience. And I'll get to that in just a second. That's point number two. But point number one is that we have to be gripped by the glory of God. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. It is an objective truth that does not need any validation or confirmation from people that God is worthy of worship. He was being worshipped 
before you came. He will be worshipped after we're gone. He will continue to be worshipped after the world is burnt up in the fire and judgment of the new heavens and the new earth. He will always be worshipped because he's always worthy of worship. He is to be feared above all gods. He stands apart from the false gods of this world. Whether they be atheistic, secularistic gods, humanistic gods, or whether they be the the, the false idols of the world religions. He stands apart. Point number two, why? Why should we be convictionally, wholehearted, sacrificially engaged in missions and evangelism? Verse five, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. Everything that people are living for and dying for and saving for and spending for, if it's not rooted in the reality of the triune God, it's rooted in a worthless idol. The Apostle Paul even goes so far to say that we know that idols aren't anything, but they're actually, when you pour out your worship to an idol, you're pouring out worship to a demon. So that the world religions aren't just people reaching up for heaven. But they actually function as a suppression of the reality of the one and true living triune God. All the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. We should care about the brokenness of people because they're pouring out their lives in, who is it, Thoreau? In quiet desperation. Is that Emerson or Thoreau? It doesn't matter. Pouring out lives in quiet desperation, longing to find some fulfillment, longing to find some success. And then when we finally reach it, talk to the most successful people. When they finally gripped everything this world has to offer and then they realize that it doesn't, it's not what it was offered to them. They were sold a bill of goods that doesn't live up to it. When Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? The answer is it doesn't profit him anything. You can get, if you are outside of Jesus right now, hear me. If you're you're not trusting the Lord and you're unsure about where you are, you can get everything you want. And it's not going to satisfy you. You can get the promotion, you can get the job, you can get the money, you can get the retirement, you can get the stuff, you can get the relationship, you can get the wife, you can get the husband, you can get the kids, the grandkids. Fill in the blank. All of those could be good gifts from a good God if you knew Him. But if all of those things are are carrying the weight of your satisfaction, it will cripple and crush you when you have laid hold of those things and you you realize that you've grasped the wind. That you're not, you are made for more. Those idols are worthless. But great is the Lord. Only He can satisfy our souls because we're made by Him for Him. And I know it's hard. I know I'll probably sound like a lunatic today. That's fine. You're going to go out, you're going to get back on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, you're going to turn on the TV, you're going to flip something open, and you're going to be bombarded again with the false and worthless idols of this world. And it's going to be all too easy to say, that preacher was crazy, this stuff's true. But remember my words right now. You can get everything you want. And it might be in 10 years, 2 years, 30 years from now, but remember these words. You can get everything you want. But if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. And you will have grasped the wind. 
Final point. Why should we be engaged? Convictionally, wholeheartedly, sacrificially in missions and evangelism. The glory of God. The worthlessness of idols. And then finally, the worth of the end. And this is in Matthew 24, 14. Matthew 24, 14 reads, And this gospel of the kingdom... This message of Jesus being king and his kingdom. This gospel of the kingdom will be, will be proclaimed. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. Will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I've heard a lot last uh, however long, month or so, with the stuff that's going on in Israel, Palestine. Every time something happens over there, it sparks up a whole conversation of the end times, right? And I'm not going to press into why that might be a a fruitless endeavor, which it is. You don't know, okay? You don't know. The, The Father knows. But perhaps we should take a greater marker and consideration of what Jesus says in this text about the timing of the end. Jesus seems here more concerned about the gospel going forth to all the nations than he is about what's happening in geopolitical Israel. That doesn't mean he's not concerned about geopolitical Israel. But here, he says, and let me say again, this gospel of the kingdom, one gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Nations here doesn't mean the hundred and some odd political, geopolitical units like United States of America, Canada, South Africa, Zimbabwe. But it means all of the different people groups. Robbie talked about this last week. All of the different people groups that, are make, that make up those. So rather than a hundred some odd nations, you have thousands. Oh, 15, he threw a number, I can't remember. 15,000 people groups, something crazy. Those people groups will hear the gospel. Then the end will come. So would you like Jesus to return, Christian? Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Yes. Get to work as the Lord has gifted you, as the Lord has equipped you. Get to work making his name known among the nations. One day I'm going to get the slides that Kevin used last Friday. I forgot to email him this week. But he shows this wonderful graphic of where all the Christians are in the world, population-wise, kind of shaded. And it's, it's where you would expect with this large swath missing in what's called the 1040 window. The 10 degrees north, 40 degrees south, something like that. So it's North Africa, Middle East, into uh, all of the stands, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. I'm sure there's other stands in there. Afghanistan, uh, Pakistan, into places like uh, Bhutan, which is near, uh, near Nepal, Nepal, China, all over there. Mongolia, that, that's where the Christians aren't. And then there's a next gra- graphic that says, well, here of all the Christians, and this is where all the Christians send their money for missions. You want to know where we send them? This, this according to this graphic, it was all the places that Christians already were. With like 1% going to this window swath of emptiness. 
And the reason that's empty is because it's hard. To go there might cost you, very well will cost you your life. It will definitely cost you your ease. But if we're going to see Jesus return, which he will, the gospel will go to the nations. It will. There will be the gospel of Jesus Christ will be preached in Algiers, in Casablanca, in Cairo, in Tehran, in Jerusalem, Baghdad, wherever, Moscow, Beijing, Shanghai, Nanjing, Harbin, all throughout China, the nations will hear, and the nation, there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation who believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus because God has given to Christ a people from every tribe and from every country and from every language. So that when we get to heaven... There will be a beautiful menagerie and tapestry of people groups represented, all redeemed by the one blood of the Lamb. Think a preacher, you made that up. Let me tell you why you're lying. Revelation chapter 5. You're not. You're mistaken. Sorry, not lying. I didn't make it up. This is the end of the book. There are two places here at the end of the book I want you to see that support Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached, proclaimed to all the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We're waiting on Jesus. Quit counting blood moons. Look to the nations. Five, Revelation 5, 9. And they sang these living creatures, this, this wonderful picture of heaven. And they sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to the Lamb who has been slain, to Jesus, the Christ, ascended in glory. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God. From, listen, Jesus bought a people from every tribe, every language, and people, and nation. That's, that's redundancy. And in the book of Revelation, four represents the whole earth. There's a lot of numero- numerology and symbol- symbolic stuff going on in the book of Revelation. So that you, you ransomed. It's, it's, it's ED. It's past tense. This is a done deal. God in glory through His Son. Jesus has redeemed a people, one people, from every nation. And you have made them a kingdom. And priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. New heavens, new earth, new people of God, made up from all the different peoples. I'm not saying that every single person and every single people group is going to somehow irrationally get saved but I'm saying that the gospel will be preached because you can't believe in what you haven't heard the gospel will be preached in those places to those people by people who believe it and God has promised us that there are people right now that there are people among the nations who if they but heard they would believe okay 
So he says, worthy are you to do this because you ransomed this people. And then chapter 7, you have this picture of the church. Verse 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages. This great multitude that cannot be numbered are the number of the saints in glory. Don't let somebody come to your door and lie to you saying there's only 144,000 slots. It's a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation and tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This great chorus, this cornucopia of redeemed people. But dear ones, they have to hear. You know Romans 10. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the one they've never heard? How can they... How can they call when they've never believed? And how can they believe if they've never heard? How can they hear if no one's ever preached to them? Last week I wrote a letter to the church. I'll say a letter. A memo? I don't a memorandum? A note? I said we have three options when we consider the nations. Because... I haven't even scraped the surface of Scripture's testimony to the nations, about the nations. But Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. So our options, as I said in that note, our options are send. So we, we send. Here are three ways you send. There's like a movable platform up here, and apparently I'm a little heavy for it. Um, here are three ways you send. You pray. You pray for the nations. You pray that people would know the Lord in places that they don't know the Lord. You pray that God would raise up laborers for the harvest there. You pray that support would be given to missionaries, that God would preserve them. You pray thy kingdom come. And when we pray the kingdom of God, we're praying both positively for Christ's kingdom to extend. And you're praying against the kingdom of Satan, who now holds people in bondage. Second Corinthians chapter four. So we pray, we give, we give of our talent, of our time and of our treasure. You give of your money, you give of your calendar, you give of your talent, you give of what the Lord has given you. So maybe you have something to offer that might pave the way for engagement among the nations. Or, as we think about, as Robbie mentioned, and as we're going to be taking steps as a church at our next business meeting, I'm going to put something on you about the Vietnamese church plant. Or we realize that there are nations in our backyard. There are representatives of unreached people groups that live in Columbia, South Carolina, that we could be engaging with the gospel. So we pray. We give. Last way that we send. 
is that we be advocates for mission. We get enthusiastic about missionaries. We teach our children, our grandchildren. We teach our kids in our church. We, we, we support events that we have, right? We're going to do the missions conference or weekend or whatever. We're going to do that again next year. I don't know when. I don't know what it's going to look like. But we're going to do it by God's grace. That you, you become an advocate. You become enthusiastic about it. You see Jesus' worth among the nations as a priority. So we, all right, so that's how we send. We pray. We give. We become an advocate. Or we go. And really, all of us are called to go to some degree. You are going to be sent in just a minute. Not like I'm not going to literally shoot you as an arrow, but the principle is the same. You're going to be sent back into this world, into the spaces that you already habitate. Into your homes, into your neighborhoods, into your workplaces, into your relationships, your, your web of relationships. And it is, an, it is on you to make Jesus known in that place. There's no other you there. And Jesus is in you, Christian, right? You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's in you. All right. So you're called to go in some way. But you might be called. And before you shelve it, too many people shelve this too quickly. We send or we go. God might be telling you, and this is my prayer, honestly, that God might be telling you to go. Like he's told Kevin and Lisa to go to Mongolia. He might be telling you to go. And before you shelve it, you better have a good reason. Standing orders are go make disciples of all nations. I think it was I heard David Platt say one time, it, it, takes a, it takes a special word to make you stay. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter. I guess it matters how young you are to a degree. But maybe God is laying on you to be a missionary to the nations. And if he is, you'd better say Yes. But if that, just, if that prospect just seems like an outlandish idea, what I want you to pray, and be careful before you do, but what I want you to pray is Lord, say, Lord, put my yes on your table. Put my yes on your table. Do you understand what I'm saying? When the Lord was leading me and I felt, it was, it's hard to ex- ex- explain, and I'll, I'll be quiet in a second. When the Lord was leading me away from my previous church, I, would, I felt a release to go before I knew anything. I mean, I knew of this church, but I, Philip wasn't leaving. I, it was a year and a half before I landed here that the, I could take you to the moment. I could take you to the spot. It's hard to explain. But I just, I just, it was a release from where I was. It's the best I can describe it. And as I began to pray and I began to wrestle... I, and this is not, this is God's grace, okay? Uh, I went on Google Maps and I zoomed all the way out. And I had my laptop in front of me, my Bible in front of me. I said, Lord, my yes is on the table. I, that, the prospect terrifies me, but my yes has to be on the table for you to send me wherever you want to send me right now. And lo and behold, I ended up in Elgin. This is how the Lord works. But I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I re-up on that every couple years. 
I say, Lord, my yes. And now, now it is our yes. Right? Sarah Beth, our kids. The yes has to be on the table. Christian, there's no other way to live. And the Lord has kept us here. And the Lord will keep us here. All right? Until he says, sees fit otherwise. It's not up to me. I'm not leaving. Okay, don't stress. But I'm, what I'm saying is that our yes has to be on the table. And that applies for pastors, missionaries, and regular folk. He made us a kingdom of priests, all of us. Your yes needs to be on the table. And I, I'm not just saying just go throw your yes out there, but ask God to say, help me put my yes on your table. And he might very well say, you're where you need to be. Keep, you know, do these things there. Or he might begin to turn your heart and say, you need to go do this. And it might be around here, it might be somewhere else. But may we be a people. Could you imagine? Just, just imagine with me for a second. I'm, I'm closing up a sermon. But this is the vision of the kind of church I would love us to be. Fully. What if all of us said wholeheartedly, Lord, our yes is on the table. Not just individually, but together. Where might the Lord send us? What might he do through us? Individually and collectively, totally, wholeheartedly sold out to Christ. What might he do? That's an exciting thought. So let's pray to see it be be a reality. I'll pray for me. I'll pray for you. You pray for you. You pray for me. We pray for each other and we'll see what the spirit of God does. Amen. If you need Jesus, you need him. If you don't know Christ, you need him. Um, And this mission means that God is offering himself to a lost and dying world. He's offering himself for all those people who have grasped the wind and know that it doesn't satisfy for all those people who are broken in the gutter, he's offering himself to you. But all those people who are high on this world's mountain but realize it's not enough, Christ is offering himself to you if you will but come and trust him. If you would leave your sin behind and trust in the Lord Jesus, you can have new life today. Christian, take what I've, heard, take what I've said to heart and pray. Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us? Would you help us be a people that is enthralled in your glory? A people that is heartbroken over the lostness around us. A people who seriously long for the new heavens and the new earth and therefore get to work in bringing your name to the farthest reaches of the world. Would you help us be a people individually and collectively who lay our yeses on your table? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.